Welcome to Remote Control, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. This week, we've got a doubleheader. Up first, I talked with the cast and creators of Unreal, and then Bill Hader and Alec Berg about their new hit comedy on HBO, Barry. Stay tuned. So how did you come up with the idea for the sutras for this season? Well, so Sarah and I got together and, you know, sat on a couch for a while and talked about what we um, would be interested in thematically for the season. I mean, obviously, we left Quinn and Rachel in a very um, particular place at the end of uh, season two, and we wanted to make sure that we really took the time to deal with the um, emotional and psychological effects of everything that had happened in, in season two and think about where we were going to start them from and what would be the sort of truthful emotional place to start them from. Um, and uh, and then we also, we had been talking about doing a female sutras for a long time. And we wanted to look at some themes that were very personal to both of us, but just that whole idea of the smart, successful woman who's climbing the ladder at work, and the higher up she gets, the harder it is to find a man, and and why is that? And then she seemed like that would be the perfect avatar for Quinn and Rachel to sort of project all of their own issues about being smart, successful, single career women um, onto as well. And for me, um, because the show is sort of, like, I worked on The Bachelor as a producer, so there's a moment in my life that was sort of the germ. (laughs) There was the germ of, like, pitching the show. Um, And so much of what I thought about in that journey for myself was honesty. Um, Because when I left that job, I really was at the point where somebody would ask me what I had for lunch, and I I couldn't answer. Because somewhere in my head, I thought, oh, my God, I shouldn't tell them where I was, because maybe they'll figure out where I was. (laughs) It's just, like, I couldn't even figure out why I was lying anymore. I was so screwed up from from that experience of not trusting people and really feeling like everyone was manipulating each other. So I definitely went through a stage of being incredibly brutally honest all the time because I was trying to correct and it was really hard for my friends and family. (laughs) Um, But it also became like a very fun narrative device because when we were talking about radical honesty and what we call it essential honesty, um, uh, this job is impossible to do without lying. And so there's, like, quite a bit of fun to be had in this first episode in terms of watching her try to do her job. Like, when Serena says, do I look like a stripper mermaid? (laughs) It's like, how do I not lie to this person? Um, And so the goat farm was very near and dear to my heart as well. But so so there there was an in for, like, what do you do in the third season with this character that's been struggling with herself since the first season? And now she thinks she's gotten away from it. And a really, really big theme of the series, too, is workaholism and codependence. So... The fact that Quinn comes and it's like a siren song, like, come back, like, lose yourself in the chaos of this bullshit. And it's so much more appealing than sitting on a farm thinking about what's wrong with you. So, yeah. and Not that I have an experience with that. <laughs> We're going on a field trip after this. <laughs> and then Jeffrey and Genevieve, how does this impact your characters? We got a little hint of what's coming for them, but, you know, what's in store for them for the rest of the season? I mean, I think... Clearly, Madison has her own interests at heart. (laughs) Um, It is different, though, for all the producers having to deal with this smart woman who knows what she wants and then all the guys. It's different. You have to manipulate guys a different way than you have to manipulate the women, and that's something that they're going to have to work on. But again, Madison's kind of got her own plan (laughs) going on, and that's going to spark some, you know, controversy and decisions she's going to have to make. 
I have to steal a soundbite from Genevieve, what she said earlier when asked a similar question. She said, when producing girls, you have to bully them. When producing guys, you have to flirt with them. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> Jay obviously has to go about it in a different way. He has like a crop of 26 men to deal with, and he has a much more straightforward approach. I don't think he really, for the most part, lies to the contestants when, when you know, producing them. He pretty much just offers them the truth, says, this is how the game is played. If you want to win, then play the game with me. Um, uh, I think that he sees the girls being able to use their their sexuality in order to manipulate these guys, and he doesn't have the same advantage. Um, he also sees them behaving really badly and the bad behavior being rewarded and seeing these people rise in the ranks while he's, like, stuck under this proverbial glass ceiling. Um, so he he takes a turn for towards the dark side, and it starts <laughs> to work for him, and so he continues on that path. I'm looking forward to seeing it. <laughs> I'm sure. So now you're three seasons in. I know you've already shot a fourth. What have you learned from the previous seasons that you're bringing to this one? I would, yeah, I, I mean, we, I would say there's there's stuff that's um, we've learned, and also stuff that's just been reinforced. Like from the get go, the show was about Quinn and Rachel. That was sort of the story from the get go, and we've always gone about breaking stories, sort of asking first what's happening with them. So we're like, okay, so what's happening with them and what other stories will help support that? And I think that that has just been reinforced as we've gone along through the seasons. Yeah, totally. And I mean, just on a very, very technical level, if it's interesting to anybody here who's interested in writing and and making television, um, on our show, you'll see every season, of course, we reset with Everlasting in a new format there. So the question is, how long can you take in that first act with Rachel and Quinn, let's just say on the goat farm or even coming back to the mansion at Everlasting before you start the night of the arrivals of Everlasting. And um, you'll see in the fourth season when you finally get to see that, it's an even shorter amount of time than what you see here. And so that, um, you know, and if you remember the pilot, the first episode starts in it, in the first night. So it's just an interesting little technical. That's actually how the pilot script started, though. Remember, we, that's had, to true. Ch- we, had, to, we had to change yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But that's a, sort of just one of the things that we find sort of, you know, moving along. And what stories we really have um, room for, you know, and the ways to get um, each of the, the producer characters intertwined with the contestants and tell the stories um, through them so that it's not, this is this story over here, and now here we are back in what they're doing in an Everlasting. And I would say one other thing that we're still learning to this day is just that um, there are these really small moments in this show that end up being incredibly important to story. Like in the first season, there was a scene that we wrote that was just, it was it was based off a memory I had of a time in my car, um, but Rachel waking up in the grip truck and turning her underwear inside out and, <laughs> and digging deodorant out of like an empty deodorant thing. And it was the stupidest, smallest moment on the page. I mean, I think it was maybe two lines on the page. And it just became this, like, insanely effective character moment, really important for defining what we were talking about and sort of getting into her world. And what we continue to, to just relearn every single time is that these small moments of characters being alone that look really, really tiny on the page are, are kind of the beating heart of our show. And so we've learned to protect them with our life. Like, they are the first thing that people want to cut. You know, like, when we're trying, just when we're production-wise trying to get pages down, or they just don't look like anything. Um, but we've really started to learn and relearn and remind each other like that is incredibly important and we have to protect those moments. Yeah, totally. What about for the actors? Are there things that you've learned over the course of the couple of seasons? That I never want to be on a reality TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah, could never do it. But also I just want to say that those are my favorite moments in film and TV are the mm-hmm. tiny, quiet, one-on-one moments that people tend to overlook. They're so lovely and important. 
I mean, I've learned so much since the first season, but I think a lot of it has to do with uh, having uh, females as our showrunners and producers and executive producers and writers because they pay attention to those nuances and those little uh, interesting you know, uh, moments of humanity that a lot of people just kind of breeze past, and that's what gives the show the depths and makes us all, you know, finds that like that uh, through line of connection that we can all relate to. Just to follow up on that, we're living in an era of Me Too and Time's Up. What does it mean to all of you to be part of a show that's so led by women? Super well, important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's incredibly exciting. Um, you know, just to have this opportunity, but really to have the opportunity to tell these stories. You know, I mean, it was I was reminded as we were watching this episode, we see we say feminist twice in this episode, and oh. you don't get to say that word on television. <laughs> you know, um, the so, other F word you don't get to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, you know, these are real complicated, fucked up women. You know, which are the only kinds of women that I know really, and mm. and um, I think we all are, and it's so great. To to see their stories on television, and um, and it's it's just you know when you have a female showrunner, you know what you have is a fighting chance to get these kinds of stories on the air, and to the the personal story, what it means to Quinn to not be able to have kids, to have preventatively broken up with her boyfriend, um, and it was all fine when she had her career, and her career was banging, but now it's been six months, the show's been shut down, her her reputation has taken a real hit in the industry, as it does so much more for for women, and what it means to her to get that back. I don't know that that would be an interesting story to a male showrunner. Maybe, God bless him, but I know that I'm there to fight and to say this is important, this is relevant, this is what we should be putting on the air. And that's what's exciting to me because the sexual harassment and the assault and the, um, you know, the, the, the illegal acts that are finally coming to light, I mean, I'm so glad we're finally having this conversation, but in a way they are easier to deal with because everybody agrees that that behavior is wrong and illegal and that it should be reported more, that we should make it easier for people to speak up and that those people should be fired at for starters. But what is harder to deal with is this sort of um, insidious sexism and the um, unconscious bias that exists across the whole industry. And I'm really glad that, 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 that all of it is finally getting talked about and addressed. Yeah. And I would say I, I feel really honored and excited that we can help hopefully create um, a din of noise that supports people that are brave enough to come out. Like I about the, I think that's really the main thing for me right now is that I just feel I have so much admiration for the people that have been brave enough to come forward. And if our little tiny drop in the bucket of sort of the culture feeling like we support you, we hear you, this is important, people want to know these stories, um, I, I'm glad that we can contribute in that way and hopefully help support people who want to come forward. Um, how much are you writing to the cast at this point? How much do you know that their abilities, <laughs> and how much do you let them improv? Well, we write to them a thousand percent, you know. And I mean, I just want to say a couple also, of sticklers up here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A couple sticklers. We're, stick, we're, we're kind of sticklers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Genevieve has an incredible story. I mean, she started as a PA that we didn't know was going to grow into the character of Madison. So that is one thousand percent because of her as an actress and how she delivered and <laughs> and what we were excited to see her do. And this season is, I think, really exciting for Madison that she's a producer now. She's obviously always looked for a way to cut to the front of the line um, and is continuing to do that. And as you can imagine, Quinn is going to find out in one of these episodes soon. And I think that the way that she reacts and, and, and what 
they do together is is very surprising and cool. Um, and you know, Jeffrey gets a boyfriend this season. Are we allowed to say that? Uh, very, Jeffrey very has exciting. a boyfriend. Very, Jay, Jay, I'm sorry. Jeffrey has a very lovely boyfriend. Very serious, lovely boyfriend. But that's something we have been talking about for years too, wanting to give him. Um, you know, a romantic relationship as well. And I also feel like with the character of Chet, I would say in particular, you know, there are actually versions of the pilot um, at at certain times that didn't have Chet in them, which was really heartbreaking for me. Um, And I'm so glad that he he ended up in the show because we absolutely love Craig Bierko and we love the character of Chet. And um, I think that his comedic timing is so good that we have found there's, there's a lot of simplicity in what we write for him, but we really trust him to find, to find the timing in it. And I think that we've learned his voice a lot. And, of course, Quinn is just, like, a blast to write for. She's ridiculously fun to write for. Um, and, yeah, I think, I think we've, we've gotten to know all the voices, but I think also really just trusting in all of these beautiful people's capabilities in terms of delivering their characters. So pretend they're not here. How much do they listen to your ideas? <laughs> Actually, I wanted to say this a little bit. I said this earlier, working on a show with women at the front is so nice because I feel so much more comfortable coming forward with concerns or questions. And I didn't even realize that that was an issue for me before, working on shows where there's men running it. I never felt like I would be listened to if I brought my concerns forward. So I just never bothered to because there was no point. And now it's so different seeing that, no, no, these, they will listen if I have a concern or a question. And it doesn't matter what it is, how silly or small or insignificant it may seem, they would listen to me. And it's wonderful knowing that. And it actually made me more comfortable in not, ha- like not having concerns. So I'm like, oh, no, well, if I did have one, I could go to them. And they'd listen and you know, walk me through it if I needed that. But I didn't realize that I didn't feel comfortable doing that before. So that's... So love, thank you <laughs> so much for that. Thank you guys for being amazing. I feel the same way. But I will say, like, we, I mean, and I can recall even some recently in, in the fourth season with Jeffrey, like, we've had conversations where you say, I really miss this line from the last draft, or I really feel like I need to say something more here, or I really just feel like I, I would need to be stronger here or something like that. And, and those are the great conversations yeah. to be able to have. I mean, TV is a completely collaborative medium. You have thousands of those conversations before about each episode before it ends up here and i would say even on the finale of four which we just finished filming like um at the table read um you added something really great to the line that we ended up putting in the script and i think that that's a really beautiful part of the process when the actors have prepared for the table read and they actually come with something to surprise us yeah that's the best time because then there is time to either put it in or to say that really doesn't work because like on the day Uh i mean we obsess over every comma everything so um you know, we want to see it as scripted, but if we've had a chance to uh, try it out, then yeah. all the better. Yeah, I feel very blessed. I agree with Genevieve wholeheartedly. Um, the level of comfort and safety that these women have created in our world of Unreal is extraordinary. Um, uh, the fact that they've written and like for an openly queer actor, an openly queer character for television, it's huge. And they don't just um, you know resign him to making uh, him like a hypersexualized character. They've really fleshed him out as like a three dimensional human being. And it's like I'm getting chills just even thinking about it. How, what a rarity that is on television, and how blessed we are to have that. When it comes to writing. Um, they really do write to us, which is incredible. But they also they really give us they give a, give us a lot of freedom to play and to ad lib and improv and find what works and what doesn't work. And it's so exciting when you come into a table read and you add in a couple lines and you see it in the next draft. It's like, ooh, <laughs> yeah. oh, that works. <laughs> also, I said this earlier too, but 
I think they do a phenomenal job of having the characters be super fleshed out. Like, if you take one of the scripts and cover the, da- the names of the characters, you know who's talking just because of who they are. Each person speaks differently, which is actually kind of a rarity. So kudos to you guys for making each character individual. So who writes the most for Quinn? I want to know who comes up with those one-liners. <laughs> we have an incredible writer's room. You know, we have a group of... Um, of really talented people who have brought their heart and soul and, and, and great dialogue, but great stories as well and characters all along the way, yeah. And how much research did you do, translation? How much reality TV are you guys watching at this point? I don't watch any. I can't. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm restricted. But um, we don't watch any, but our writer's assistant this year actually is sort of a fan of The Bachelor, so she had, she had some fun little tidbits like as we were sorting out like some ideas for the show but um but again like we always start with Quinn and Rachel so we sort of even try to ignore it a little bit the only reality shows Jen and I watch are is RuPaul's Drag Race like yeah. obsessively yeah. Yeah. well I'm sorry I'm sorry I watch that I don't even think that counts Thank you. That's, yeah, yeah. Even, no. that's just good television like, that's even count. it's like art that's like pure yeah. art yeah. I actually had a really awkward encounter I was at a event in LA and one of the girls who I guess is a fan favorite on The Bachelor came up and talked to me and she was like oh I love your show and I was like thank you and I had no idea who she was (laughs) and she was giving me these weird looks all night and I was like what did I do like did I know her and I forgot her and later I looked her up and I was like oh she thought it was weird that I'm on this show and I had no idea who she was I mean the two the two things I I don't watch reality television either but the aside from RuPaul's Drag Race but Um, But the two things from The Bachelor that sort of rose to the level of cultural conversation that we heard about is that we did hear that they had an African-American bachelorette for the first time. Um, And then we heard this past season about on Bachelor in Paradise about the producer who filed a complaint to the studio. And that was shocking to me because this show has been on for 20 seasons something, a, a very, very long time. And many of the kinds of things that we write about must happen on the show and no one has ever made a complaint. And we talked about how extraordinary it is for a producer to even know who to call at the studio, um, who to call, what phone number to call. Like these are not, things are so separated from that when you're on a crew and how bad it must have been if they, now this was the line and that was, um, too much. So that, um, uh, was interesting for us to think about, and um, it has a little bit more to do with the inspiration for season four. Season four, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a little. So what's season four? Mm-hmm. All stars. All yeah. stars. All stars. It's so exciting. Did you not know that? For real, you're like genuinely shocked. That's amazing. And it's so exciting from being a part of this show from the very beginning and like uh, conceptualizing like season one, we're going to do a bachelor. Season two, we can do this. Season three, we can do a, a sutra. Season four, all stars. Like it's, it was, it's super exciting. Season 17, outer space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, it's exciting that we've gone this yeah. far that we're able to like really like flesh out this whole world of everlasting. And also Rachel has gone through some major transformations, which will be Which if you follow Sherry Appleby's Instagram, you can see what that means. Fantastic. We're looking forward to it. All right. Well, unfortunately, it sounds like we've got to end it there. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you. Thank you So that's what the Unreal team had to say about their new season. Up next, Bill Hader and Alec Berg talk about turning a story about a hitman into a comedy for HBO. Hey, I'm Deborah Birnbaum. It's my pleasure to welcome Bill Hader and Alec Berg. Hi. Hello. So let's do it. You guys were just chatting about it. How'd you come up with the idea for the show? Um, well, I think what happened was we got put to match together by our mutual agent, and then we just went to a diner in Culver City. I would meet 
uh, you know, like once a week and talk around about ideas for a possible show. And then I said, what about a hitman? What if I played a hitman? And Alec went, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, he goes, I just don't like the word hitman. I just don't like hitman. Like, I was like, no, 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 we made it grounded and kind of like not a glib thing, kind of more of a real guy trying to wrestle with this stuff. And we talked about that for a little bit, and then somehow acting class came up, which I don't remember how we got into acting class. I think the idea was we kind of liked the idea of somebody who's really good at something that they hate doing. Yeah. And they're very excited about something that they might be terrible at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, why do you do things? Do you do things because you have to do them or because you're good at them or because you want to do them? And it just seemed like a lot of interesting sort of material around that. Um, and we also thought, you know, you've seen, like, all the sort of cool guy with the skinny tie and sunglasses hitman. Yeah. This seemed more like he's a traveling salesman who just <laughs> happens to be a contract killer. Where yeah. there's no glamour or glitz and he just hates it and he's kind of bored. Yeah, he's kind of bored with his life, and and he's and then we kind of oh, if he was an ex, you know, if he was a marine, then he was trained to do this, so now he knows how to do this, and so he's just trying to find his place in the world, and then, um, and and the idea that he this thing he's doing, he's slowly realizing is um, is uh, bad. It's kind of it's bad for his soul it's like hurting him you know and he takes this acting this kind of dopey acting class and it's like group therapy for him he's starting to kind of get in touch with these aspects of himself and kind of realizing what he does for a living and what he's good at uh, is destroying lives and stuff you know not just people he killed but people they're related to their friend you know what i mean it's 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 he starts to get the kind of bigger moral issue of like what he's doing so yeah and we we started finding all these kind of interesting contrasts where like you know if you're a professional killer you have to numb your emotions whereas in order to be (laughs) an an actor you have to reach out and find all of your emotions and get in touch with them which you know those are kind of two things yeah polar opposite points yeah, you know, and there's also kind of these parallels of like, as a hitman, you have to be anonymous and in the shadows, and as an actor, you want to be known. <laughs> yeah. You want to be in the and spotlight. You literally yeah. have to stand in the light. Yeah, um, that, that's why it makes it such an interesting contrast between the two sides of him. Yeah, it's two things that are just they can't work together. And he—that's what he says. I want to do both things, and him doing both things is going to. You know, people are going to get killed. <laughs> yeah. But, it's not going to end well. But it's not going to end well, which is interesting. Yeah. That's kind of the fun game, right? Yeah. You're trying to get the audience to root for him to sort of explore this creative side of himself when you're also being told that that will almost certainly lead to his death. Yeah. Right? So, so you're rooting for the main character to, to die. Yeah, in a weird way, you're rooting for him to at least get a little bit of self-awareness before he's, he, he's murdered. Yeah. Yeah. How do you strike that balance? As you said, it's pretty tough. It is hard, especially when we got into the idea of the violence being very real, which was something that when we met with HBO, it was a big kind of, you know, we didn't want it to be funny violence necessarily. We wanted it to feel... Or cool. Or cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing cool about it. That was in our first meeting. It needed to be very, uh, you know, very real and, and grounded because it should be, I mean, what I think it is, which is really awful and and... And, you know, you don't want him to be in that world anymore. You want him to be in a world with Henry Winkler, you know. And so uh, it was tough, you know. How do you, you know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, both of us, 
obviously come from the comedy world and it is a thing when you say oh no the violence is going to be real most comedy people go well you can't be funny after that you know that's kind of the antithesis if you have a very rough death scene in the show uh, you can't just have a joke that kind of kills all the thing and then we just yeah we but- ignored that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Pot- potentially to our peril. To a, yeah, yeah, we might have done it to our peril, but we yeah. just kind of ignored that, and we're like, well, we'll just see what happens, I guess. But a lot of it is just trial and error also. Right. Where it's just, I mean, there really were, like, there were a lot of things yeah. we shot, and we'd get in the edit and, and go, go, that's Ugh. a really funny joke, but it kills the reality of the moment. Yeah, or and, vice conversely, versa, and right? conversely, yeah, where you have something, like, really violent and go, gosh, that's it. we got to dial back a little bit from this just so this... Pl- comedy or humanity in the next thing kind of plays better, you know. Not that your words aren't all brilliant, but how much did you ad-lib? How much is sort of impromptu in the moment? Not a lot. Mostly written, especially when you have yeah. these 30-minute episodes and the story has a real narrative propulsion to it where it's like each scene in a really good way kind of, you know, is keeping the narrative moving along. So you can't really mess around too much. There's like little yeah. moments here and there, but... It's also we tried as much as we could to make it sort of cinematic and, and yeah. you know, when a camera is moving in a certain way, it's not like we were just setting it up and pointing it at the actors and saying, like, all right, we're just going to roll for 10 yeah, minutes. And yeah, you guys, yeah, you, know. you don't have multiple cameras, you mm-hmm. know, going on both sides, you know, you know to, to capture all that. It's kind of more uh, – but, but in that, though, I think we hired amazing actors who can make it – can give it something that – we didn't expect in the writing, you know, who add different dimensions to it that by the end of shooting the show, we were almost asking them more, what do you think your character would do yeah. here? And we, yes. we did do, there were certain setups where it's like, okay, this is one of these things where we're just going to, you know, there was a scene where the police were interviewing the actors. Oh, the interrogation stuff. Yeah, and that we, was one where we scripted a couple of little things, but really it was like, okay, we're going to give go. each of you, you know, a few minutes to just go. And yeah. we would kind of lob stuff out, but it, yeah. that, those there were, but we had to kind of build those little things into the into the schedule. Yeah. Like, it wasn't a regular, you know, it wasn't sure. like that thing, like on some shows where they're like, okay, let's do one more take and just like... Play fast and loose. Yeah. Talk about Henry Weekly because he's hilarious in this. Yeah, How did you settle on him for the part? We kind of had him in mind early on. I remember our casting director, when we met with her the first meeting, they were like, what about Henry Winkler? And we both went, oh, that's weird. That's We were thinking the same thing. Um, yeah. And, and he read, too, which he I did. thought which was so sweet. He was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which we, we <clears throat> felt bad about. <laughs> um, but he was phenomenal, and the thing—the thing that he has—I mean, we we kind of thought that this guy should be, you know, kind of like a an imperious, you know, mean, uh, condescending, you know, evil ruler type at first. That's kind of how he was written—is this kind of you know very alpha. Yeah. And what Henry has that's so endearing is just he has this warmth. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was a process. There was a part early on where <laughs> where we were rehearsing, and we we actually needed him to be really kind awful. of a little bit more awful. And then at one point, I remember him kind of going, "Oh, oh, you mean like he's like a a mean guy? 
And we were like, yeah, yeah, yeah do yeah. do some of that. And, mm-hmm. and as soon as he kind of found that level, oh, he went, oh, he's he can be really mean. And it's and and talking about his own experience with different acting teachers he's had and things like that. It's I go, it's all kind of manipulation to get out from the. It's <clears throat> it's that thing of uh, on the surface is the man, you're manipulating this this actor to get them to get a performance out of them in the scene, but it's really all about his character kind of showing off that he's doing that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so it's kind of, look what I'm doing, everyone. And so, when all he really needed to do was say, play it, um, hey, can you give me more or whatever? (laughs) Instead, it's like, I'm going to really get inside your head and all this. But, um, but, you know, and also, you know, he, he, and along with Steven Root as well, they play, um, they could play, uh, uh, you know, status really well. You know, mm-hmm. him playing a really high status is uh, is really fun. You know, is really funny. Yeah, and you know, also getting to explore the fact that, like, in this little acting class, he's this king. Yeah, he's a god. But once he class. leaves this little womb, he's you know, just an out of work actor. Yeah, yes. right, right. And playing with that stuff was fun as well, where it's like we get to kind of beat him up. Yeah. Watching his moves were hilarious. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, how much did you tap into your own experiences in acting classes for this? Not, I didn't really go to a, like an acting class like this. I never gone to it. I went to an uh, improv class at Second City LA. So Alec and I actually went to some acting classes and what was helpful about those was we actually saw a thing that's in the pilot, or, or Alex saw it, the, 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 yeah, the, I mean, the there manipulation is this... thing in the pilot. I don't know if you saw that episode, the first episode. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there, there is you a very interesting acting exercise where basically, like, to get somebody out of their head, you just humiliate them and humiliate them, and eventually they, they sort of break down all of those barriers and they forget to be pretentious or self-aware. It Usually because they're sobbing. Yeah. <laughs> but... They're out of it was fascinating to watch, you know, what you could argue was a very kind of mean-spirited, manipulative thing. But in the end, you the got subject it. of that was very grateful. Yeah. Right? It's a it's a weird kind of Stockholm Syndrome thing where this, this woman who was, you know, berated and humiliated at the end was crying and saying, thank you so much. That was amazing. Yeah, which we thought was, was weird. <laughs> and because it's weird because you see that class and then it's like, <clears throat> Granted, I've just done like kind of you know big comedy stuff, but I've done some drama too and everything, and and I've never had anybody do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, <laughs> not yet. I've never seen that before. <laughs> and uh, but you know, and uh, and and the other thing we learned in it was it was kind of like group therapy, and watching these classes was a bit like group therapy, and um, and that was really helpful of kind of going, oh, that's what. Th- that that really helped with the writing of it, you know, because that's what the guy needs. Is, is he's just in a world where people just immediately are very open about their problems and what's bothering them. And if he is that way, he will get killed, and they could all get killed. <laughs> <laughs> so he can't he can't say what his problems are, and that's the kind of suspense within the show. Is what's he going to divulge, you know? How did you find the right voice for him? Because he's so deadpan, like you know, yeah. trying to get into that character. That was a big discussion the entire time. Was like, okay, this guy is emotionally dead inside, mm-hmm. but that's not fun. It's not interesting to, to watch. Play, and it's probably not fun to watch. Just a guy staring. Right. 
So we had to, I mean, that was a, that was really probably the biggest issue with the Barry character mm-hmm. was just figuring out like, where is he opinionated or, yeah, you how know, is, he is he driving he... this a bit? You know, we'd write a scene and then we'd be happy with it. And then we go, well, gosh, Barry's just kind of a passenger in this. He needs to be driving this, you know. But the nice thing is, is that as the show progresses, he, he, you know, he has an arc. And so it is kind of playing the, the one side of that arc, you know, and knowing kind of, we know where he's headed. And so it's kind of, um, starting out there because you know you're going to end up someplace else. Did you know where you wanted to go when, when, from the beginning when you started it? A, a vague idea of where we wanted it to go. And then after we were done with the first season, we had kind of a more of a solid idea where we wanted to go. And if we get to do more, I'm sure it'll become more and more apparent like where he ends up. Yeah, but it is, it's a combination. Like sometimes if you know exactly where you want to go, it becomes sort of forced getting there. Yeah. You know, where you're you just wanna... like, well, we have to end up there, so whatever we yeah. do to get there, that's what we have to do, and the scenes don't actually resonate. Yeah. Or... It all seems kind of flat. It's like you're putting together, like, a Lego set or something instead of, like, it being a breathing thing. So even the first scene, the first uh, season, you know, we, we'd outlined, like, kind of like a first season and presented it to the writers and kind of was like, tell us where we're wrong, you know? And then what happened was was kind it of like out the where was, was almost everywhere, all <laughs> everywhere. You know, it was like tell us we're wrong, and they you know ripped into it in a good way. And then we kind of the stuff that worked the best were the things that surprised us. Where an actor, you know, the character, you know, it's like a, people say this all the time, but the character would kind of tell you where it wanted to go, and you would go, oh, okay, well now. Oh, that works out because this then then goes to this and this and so yeah. Yeah, and then you would go well, but that's not at all what we have planned. And those other six things we wanted to do don't work now. But this is better, so I guess we got to just stay this path and figure out. Well, I remember writing early and writing when we found out we got the show picked up. I started doing that thing of I'm going to write character bios, (laughs) and I started writing character (laughs) bios. And Alec went, "What, "What is this?" (laughs) <laughs> and I go, oh, I'm writing character biomes, and he was like, why? And I said, well, so we know the characters back, you know, history and stuff, and it's a bit like, you know, if he doesn't have a, you know, if I, I, like, why? Like, because it could change. We could get to a different place in another right. season later down the road, and go. You know, it's kind of better if his dad was this person versus this person, or it's better if he doesn't have any siblings versus a lot of siblings or whatever. Why are you setting this all in stone now? It you know? doesn't, it's never made any sense to me when people who order shows are like, okay, we want all these character bios and we want all this, this Bible and we want you to make all of these Big fairly decisions. arbitrary, huge <laughs> decisions now so yeah. that for the rest of the series, you're locked into things that you didn't put a lot of thought into. Yeah. And so he it was like, no get sense. rid of that. Just start writing the show. And then when you start writing it, you would go, oh, right. Oh, well, that's who that guy is. And then, yeah, you go, oh, he doesn't have, okay, so what's he do with his money? Like, why don't we start with that? And you go, oh, okay. And then that would inform, that decision kind of informs what kind of guy he is, you know, and that's that's good. Well, the formula is clearly working. Congratulations so much, guys. We're looking forward to seeing more. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We'll be talking about BBC's new drama, Killing Eve, from Fleabag creator Phoebe Waller-Bridge. See you next time.